0: Hello, this is Steve Bailey welcoming you to episode six of laughing gas, a Charlie Chaplin podcast. And I would like to begin this podcast episode by proudly announcing that the podcast is now available on iTunes. I don't know what outlet you are listening to this from, but if it makes it more convenient for you to listen to to it via iTunes, so much the better. Uh, Get your pens and pencils ready. I'm going to give you the URL for the... uh, the, uh, Uh, iTunes address for it. So, if you want to listen there, uh, here is the full URL. iTunes.Apple.com slash US slash podcast slash ID 1422540669. Now, don't worry, that's the only time I'm going to announce that URL. I'm not going to begin every podcast with it. However, if you do listen to it through iTunes, I would really appreciate it. If you would leave a star rating, I believe it's one to five stars as to how much you enjoyed the podcast, and or a written review. It helps to get the numbers up at uh, iTunes so that the podcast is more likely to be promoted by them. Now, in my last episode, I declared that I would do, I'm trying to do the movies of Chaplin in chronological order, but to spice it up a little bit, I'm also going to throw in one of his uh, other favorites, because... Uh, the Keystone movies, uh, as with all of his movies, are worth watching, but I gotta admit, they're a real slog as far as one, you know, you really have to get, in my opinion, to the mutual shorts to get to the really high quality stuff. And I would think Chaplin would probably agree. So I do want to cover them in chronological order. So I will do his next two uh, films from 1914 and then do a feature, which I will discuss later. So the next. A uh, keystone short subject I would like to discuss is his favorite pastime. His favorite pastime already shows that the anarchism, if you will, of Chaplin's character isn't that funny unless there is something for it to work against. Chaplin mocked danced in a lot of his shorts, so he was regarded as a great dancer, until he made 1919's Side, where he danced to no purpose and felt empty. Similarly, Chaplin could be a funny drunk, but not if all he was called upon to do was to be a funny drunk, as he is here. The first half of the movie shows Charlie boozing it up at a bar and antagonizing most of the patrons. Occasionally, he also goes out on the street, where he flirts with a woman in her car, until the woman's husband comes along to break it up. The movie's second part shows Charlie drunkenly heading home, but going into the wrong house. To top it off, it is the home of the woman with whom he was flirting. Hmm, I wonder how the husband is going to react. If Charlie had been given the slightest motivation to act up against these people, we could enjoy the retaliation. As it is, we can't help feeling that what would feel what it, what it would feel like to try having a quiet evening at a bar and then have this lout ruin your night. Uh, next up on the Keaton list is Cruel, Cruel Love. The girlfriend of Charlie, here sporting a two-pronged mustache, mistakenly believes that he has been flirting with her maid and says she never wants to see him again. By the time she realizes her mistake, Charlie has taken what he believes to be poison and thinks he is about to die. He's put right, the woman takes him back, and everyone is le- left standing at movie's end gets drop kicked by Charlie for no reason. Story-wise, that's about it. Chaplin mugs it up, as you've never seen before or since, in a vain effort to convince us of the story's hilarity. And lastly, as I said, I want to discuss one of his more famous movies. Uh, this is a shout-out to my sister-in-law, Michaelin who I didn't even realize uh, cared that much for Chaplin's work, but she happened to mention to me on Facebook that she very much likes his movie Limelight from 1952. So that is what I am going to discuss next. <laughs> Now then, uh, my favorite film critic, the late Pauline Kale, made her bones, so to speak, as a movie critic with her debut review in San Francisco's City Lights magazine of Limelight. Now, Kale made no bones about despising the movie. Her review was headlined, Slime Light. The review's truncated version, which appeared in Kale's capsule review collection, 5,001 Nights at the Movies, I would like to quote here in its entirety. The movie is Chaplin's high-minded and sentimental view of the theater and himself. His exhortations about life, courage, consciousness, and truth are set in a self-pitying, self-glorifying story. As Calvero, the old, impoverished English clown, he appears at a gala benefit and shows the unbelievers who think him finished that he is still the greatest and then dies in the wings as the applause fades. This is surely the richest hunk of self-gratification since Huck and Tom attended their own funeral, and Chaplin serves it up straight. The mediocrity of Calvero's stage routines may be the result of Chaplin's aiming at greatness. At one point, Calvero awaits a young ballerina played with considerable charm by Claire Bloom and danced with authority by Melissa Hayden. And in the darkened theater, after she has performed, he says to her, my dear, you are a true artist, a true artist. And the emphasis is on his eyes, his depth of feeling. And is it because Chaplin didn't talk on screen until later in his career that he doesn't seem to have a dramatic instinct for language, he talks high-mindedly and incessantly, end quote. Now, other than Cale's remarks about Calvero's routines and Bloom's charm, I can't find any point to debate, and yet I still find the movie alluring. The movie began life as an autobiographical novel named Footlights, and the Chaplin Collection DVD of the movie contains sound clips of Chaplin reading two brief passages from the worthwhile novel. So it's not too surprising how self-absorbed the movie is, It is set in London in 1914, ironically the year Chaplin became a hit in movies, and Calvero, played of course by Chaplin, a washed-up stage comedian, happens upon Terry, played by Claire Bloom, a young girl in his apartment building who has attempted suicide. Calvero saves her from death and nurses her back to health. Terry is a wannabe ballet dancer who fears she has lost the the use of her legs, and basically she and Calvero take turns building up each other's self-confidence. Terry eventually meets up with Neville, played by Chaplin's real-life eldest son, Sidney. Neville is a composer with whom she had briefly crossed paths, and Calvero urges her to forge a bond with him. But Terry is so grateful to Calvero that she pushes Neville aside and insists to Calvero that she loves him. There are a couple of major obstacles with this plot point. Cale notwithstanding, I found Clara Bloom's performance mostly to note. She's either heroically enduring pain or bleeding out her deepest thoughts. And as with the supposed charm of the lead character in Monsieur Verdoux, which I will discuss at a future date, the supposed passion that Terry feels for Calvero is more talked about than shown to us, so that when Terry finally declares I love you to Calvero, it's as much of a surprise to us as it is to him. Secondly, the movie would be far more interesting if this passion were acted upon in any manner, say with Calvero denying his true feelings for Terry while being jealous that Neville is making time with her. Instead, Calvero clucks that Terry can't possibly be in love with her while enjoying her worship at the same time. He's not even jealous of Neville, who seems to be one more person within his orbit of worship. So this May-December romance is an intriguing plot thread left dangling all the way to movie's end. The other major problem, I would say, is the film's pacing. The movie's present day, that is 1914, story grinds to a halt several times for flashbacks. Calvero's dreams about the past, Terry's story about her meeting, first meeting Neville, etc. Mind you, many of the flashbacks are the movie's most worthwhile moments, especially when they revolve around Cal- Calvero's stage act. Yet one wishes Chaplin could have compacted them better into his script, perhaps if he had gotten rid of some of Calvero's long winded philosophizing. And yet, the movie is not without its merits. While Bloom is so-so, and poor Sidney rates zero as an on-screen presence here, much of the acting is quite enjoyable. As Bodolink, the impresario who arranges Calvero's eventual comeback, Norman Lloyd looks and plays like a link to show business past. In her brief but lovely appearances as Calvin's Cal, excuse me, Calvero's buxom landlady, Marjorie Bennett seems as though she could have played with Chaplin one of his two-wheelers, especially when Calvero is trying to woo her into another month's rent-free stay at his apartment. I also do not agree with Pauline Kale's comments about Calvero's stage act. The bit with the train fleas is at least amusing, and Calvero's banter with Claire Bloom on stage brings to mind the quote that often attributed to Chaplin, wherein he told Groucho Marx, I wish I could speak like you on screen. Here, he just about does so. And of course, there is the famous wordless stage duet that Chaplin does with Buster Keaton near movie's end. If you haven't seen the movie and you ever fantasized about two movie comedy legends getting together, well, for about 10 minutes, this movie grants your wish. Also, perhaps it's my imagination, but the shot of Calvero finishing his act and then looking out in horror to a, a sea of empty seats, did they pay homage to that shot in the Rocky Horror Picture Show? It sure looks like it to me. Anyway, limelight is yet another of those Chaplin vehicles that is flawed but fascinating. You wish it was better than it is, yet even in its final state, you can't keep your eyes off it. And with that, let me close with a few blatant plugs of some of my other stuff that I do. Uh, If you would like to find me on Facebook, I have a Facebook page named Another Charlie Chaplin Facebook Page. Can't forget that title, can you? So please um, join me there if you will. If you would like to email me about this podcast, uh, concerning your feelings about it, good, bad, or neutral, I welcome all commentary. Please email me at laughinggaspodcast at outlook.com. Finally, I would like to plug a couple of other podcasts that I do. I have completed a a podcast of all Laurel and Hardy's movies. The name of that podcast is Hard Boiled Eggs and Nuts, a Laurel and Hardy Podcast. And that can be found at anchor.fm or at iTunes, under that name. And I am also, in addition to this podcast, currently doing one uh, regarding the Fleischer Brothers cartoons of the Popeye era from 1933 to 1942. That is also available at Anchor FM, and the name of it is Blow Me Down, a Fleischer Popeye Podcast. So I hope you will listen to those. Uh, If you are listening for the first time here, uh, I welcome you. And I ask you to subscribe and to listen to the five previous episodes. And uh, please, I hope, keep listening because there's plenty more to come. I Thank you for your indulgence. And until next time, this is Steve Bailey saying goodbye. Hello, this is Steve Bailey, welcoming you to episode six of Laughing Gas, yes, a Charlie Chaplin podcast. And I would like to begin this podcast episode by proudly announcing that the podcast is now available on iTunes. I don't know what outlet you are listening to this from, but if it makes it more convenient for you to listen to to it via iTunes, so much the better. Uh, Get your pens and pencils ready. I'm going to give you the URL for the uh, the, uh, iTunes address for it. So if you want to listen there, uh, here is the full URL iTunes.Apple.com slash US slash podcast slash ID 1422540669. Now, don't worry, that's the only time I'm going to announce that URL and I'm going to begin every, every podcast with it. However, if you do listen to it through iTunes, I would really appreciate it. If you would leave a star rating, I believe it's one to five stars as to how much you enjoyed the podcast, and or a written review. It helps to get the numbers up at uh, iTunes so that the podcast is more likely to be promoted by them. Now, in my last episode, I declared that I would do, I'm trying to do the movies of Chaplin in chronological order, but to spice it up a little bit, I'm also going to throw in one of his uh, other favorites, because... Uh, the Keystone movies, uh, as with all these movies, are worth watching, but I got to admit they're a real slog. As far as one, you know, you really have to get, in my opinion, to the mutual shorts to get to the really high quality stuff, and I would think Chaplin would probably agree. So I do want to cover them in chronological order. So I will do the next two uh, films from 1914, and then do a feature, which I will discuss later. So the next. A uh, keystone short subject I would like to discuss is his favorite pastime. His favorite pastime already shows that the anarchism, if you will, of Chaplin's character isn't that funny unless there is something for it to work against. Chaplin mocked danced in a lot of his shorts, so he was regarded as a great dancer, until he made 1919's Side, where he danced to no purpose and felt empty. Similarly, Chaplin could be a funny drunk, but not if all he was called upon to do was to be a funny drunk, as he is here. The first half of the movie shows Charlie boozing it up at a bar and antagonizing most of the patrons. Occasionally, he also goes out on the street, where he flirts with a woman in her car, until the woman's husband comes along to break it up. The movie's second part shows Charlie drunkenly heading home, but going into the wrong house. To top it off, it is the home of the woman with whom he was flirting. Hmm, I wonder how the husband is going to react. If Charlie had been given the slightest motivation to act up against these people, we could enjoy the retaliation. As it is, we can't help feeling that what would feel what what it would feel like to try having a quiet evening at a bar and then have this lout ruin your night. Uh, next up on the Keaton list is Cruel, Cruel Love. The girlfriend of Charlie, here sporting a two-pronged mustache, mistakenly believes that he has been flirting with her maid and says she never wants to see him again. By the time she realizes her mistake, Charlie has taken what he believes to be poison and thinks he is about to die. He's put right, the woman takes him back, and everyone is le- left standing at movie's end, gets drop kicked by Charlie for no reason. Story-wise, that's about it. Chaplin mugs it up, as you've never seen before or since, in a vain effort to convince us of the story's hilarity. And lastly, as I said, I want to discuss one of his more famous movies. Uh, this is a shout-out to my sister-in-law, Michaelin. Who I didn't even realize uh, cared that much for Chaplin's work, but she happened to mention to me on Facebook that she very much likes his movie Limelight from 1952. So that is what I am going to discuss next. Now then, uh, my favorite film critic, the late Pauline Kale, made her bones, so to speak, as a movie critic with her debut review in San Francisco's City Lights magazine of Limelight. Now, Kale made no bones about despising the movie. Her review was headlined, Slime Light. The review's truncated version, which appeared in Kale's capsule review collection, 5,001 Nights at the Movies, I would like to quote here in its entirety. The movie is Chaplin's high-minded and sentimental view of the theater and himself. His exhortations about life, courage, consciousness, and truth are said in a self-pitying, self-glorifying story. As Calvero, the old, impoverished English clown, he appears at a gala benefit and shows the unbelievers who think him finished that he is still the greatest and then dies in the wings as the applause fades. This is surely the richest hunk of self-gratification since Huck and Tom attended their own funeral, and Chaplin serves it up straight. The mediocrity of Cal- Calvero's stage routines may be the result of Chaplin's aiming at greatness. At one point, Calvero awaits a young ballerina, played with considerable charm by Claire Bloom, and danced with authority by Melissa Hayden. And in the darkened theater, after she has performed, he says to her, My dear, you are a true artist, a true artist. And the emphasis is on his eyes, his depth of feeling. And is it because Chaplin didn't talk on screen until later in his career that he doesn't seem to have a dramatic in- instinct for language, he talks high-mindedly and incessantly, end quote. Now, other than Cale's remarks about Calvero's routines and Bloom's charm, I can't find any point to debate, and yet I still find the movie alluring. The movie began life as an autobiographical novel named Footlights, and the Chaplin Collection DVD of the movie contains sound clips of Chaplin reading two brief passages from the worthwhile novel. So it's not too surprising how self-absorbed the movie is, It is set in London in 1914, ironically the year Chaplin became a hit in movies, and Calvero, played of course by Chaplin, a washed-up stage comedian, happens upon Terry, played by Claire Bloom, a young girl in his apartment building who has attempted suicide. Calvero saves her from death and nurses her back to health. Terry is a wannabe ballet dancer who fears she has lost the the use of her legs, and basically she and Calvero take turns building up each other's self-confidence. Terry eventually meets up with Neville, played by Chaplin's real-life eldest son, Sidney. Uh, Neville is a composer with whom she had briefly crossed paths, and Calvero urges her to forge a bond with him. But Terry is so grateful to Calvero that she pushes Neville aside and insists to Calvero that she loves him. <clears throat> there are a couple of major obstacles with this plot point. Cale notwithstanding, I found Clara Bloom's performance mostly 2 note. She's either heroically enduring pain or bleeding out her deepest thoughts. And as with the supposed charm of the lead character in Monsieur Verdue, which I will discuss at a future date, the supposed passion that Terry feels for Calvero is more talked about than shown to us, so that when Terry finally declares I love you to Calvero, it's as much of a surprise to us as it is to him. Secondly, the movie would be far more interesting if this passion were acted upon in any manner, Say, with Calvero denying his true feelings for Terry, while being jealous that Neville is making time with her. Instead, Calvero clucks that Terry can't possibly be in love with her, while enjoying her worship at the same time. He's not even jealous of Neville, who seems to be one more person within his orbit of worship. So this May-December romance is an intriguing plot thread left dangling all the way to movie's end. The other major problem, I would say, is the film's pacing. The movie's present day, that is, 1914 story, grinds to a halt several times for flashbacks. Calvero's dreams about the past, Terry's story about her first meeting Neville, etc. Mind you, many of the flashbacks are the movie's most worthwhile moments, especially when they revolve around Calvero's stage act. Yet one wishes Chaplin could have compacted them better into his script. Perhaps if he had gotten rid of some of Calvero's long-winded philosophizing. And yet, the movie is not without its merits. While Bloom is so-so, and poor Sidney rates zero as an on-screen presence here, much of the acting is quite enjoyable. As Bodolink, the impresario who arranges Calvero's eventual comeback, Norman Lloyd looks and plays like a link to show business past. In her brief but lovely appearances as Calvin's Cal, excuse me, Calvero's buxom landlady, Marjorie Bennett seems as though she could have played with Chaplin one of his two-wheelers, especially when Calvero is trying to woo her into another month's rent-free stay at his apartment. I also do not agree with Pauline Kale's comments about Calvero's stage act. The bit with the train fleas is at least amusing, and Calvero's banter with Claire Bloom on stage brings to mind the quote that often attributed to Chaplin, wherein he told Groucho Marx, I wish I could speak like you on screen. Here, he just about does so. And of course, there is the famous wordless stage duet that Chaplin does with Buster Keaton near Movie's End. If you haven't seen the movie and you ever fantasized about two movie comedy legends getting together, well, for about 10 minutes, this movie grants your wish. Also, perhaps it's my imagination, but the shot of Calvero finishing his act and then looking out in horror to a, a sea of empty seats, did they pay homage to that shot in the Rocky Horror Picture Show? It sure looks like it to me. Anyway, Limelight is yet another of those Chaplin vehicles that is flawed but fascinating. You wish it was better than it is, yet even in its final state, you can't keep your eyes off it. And with that, let me close with a few blatant plugs of some of my other stuff that I do. Uh, If you would like to find me on Facebook, I have a Facebook page named Another Charlie Chaplin Facebook Page. Can't forget that title, can you? So please um, join me there if you will. If you would like to email me about this podcast, uh, concerning your feelings about it, good, bad, or neutral, I welcome all commentary. Please email me at laughinggaspodcast at outlook.com. Finally, I would like to plug a couple of other podcasts that I do. I have completed a a podcast of all Laurel and Hardy's movies. The name of that podcast is Hard Boiled Eggs and Nuts, a Laurel and Hardy Podcast. And that can be found at anchor.fm. Or at iTunes, under that name. And I am also, in addition to this podcast, currently doing one uh, regarding the Fleischer Brothers cartoons of the Popeye era from 1933 to 1942. That is also available at Anchor FM. And the name of it is Blow Me Down, a Fleischer Popeye Podcast. So I hope you will listen to those. Uh, If you are listening for the first time here, uh, I welcome you. And I ask you to subscribe and to listen to the five previous episodes. And uh, please, I hope, keep listening because there's plenty more to come. Uh, thank you for your indulgence. And until next time, this is Steve Bailey saying goodbye.